Diction Edwards called me late one night. He was on tour and had some downtime. From the background noise on his side, I could hear that he was outdoors. I automatically assumed that he was on the other side of the globe, as he often is. I was correct. He informed me that he was some 15 hours ahead of my time in New Caledonia, a French territory in the Pacific Ocean. Phone calls like this are not a rare occurrence. Diction has worked very hard in the music industry, and work trips like these are the fruits of his labor. What started in high school as friendly rap battles with his friend and now fellow artist J.R. DeLion turned into a full-fledged career. After high school, Diction attended university in Orlando, Florida. Though he fully appreciated the opportunity, music kept tugging at his heartstrings. Diction's university days also introduced him to a crew of friends that in essence became a ring of creativity. Diction and his friends eventually formed ODBMG, Out the Box Music Group, an entity that produced a soca band called Just Action, several mixtapes, producers, songwriters, and artists. Although they were popular in their home turf of Orlando, the group debuted a record in 2007 that would take their profile to new heights. Island Girls became an anthem in several Caribbean islands, the eastern United States, and parts of Europe. This was followed by group member Ayaz being signed to Warner Music and Sean Kingston's Time Is Money imprint. Diction was there every step of the way as one of the main architects of the entire movement. Several years after his high school rap battles, Diction has emerged as a prolific and accomplished songwriter, tour manager, booking agent, and concert promoter. He is Mr. Entertainment. But he is not done yet. In his own words, this is the story, thus far, of Diction Edwards. I am Crispin Brooks, and this is Planet 30. a former rapper and a pioneer in hip-hop in the Eastern Caribbean. He's also a writer for platinum-selling artists. Diction, welcome to Planet 30. Hello, my brother. How are you, my brother? Doing well, doing well. Good, good. First question for you. What, what is your first memory of falling in love with music? Well, um, I grew up in Anguilla, you know, like my fellow brother here. So, we grew up in Anguilla, and um, my dad is Jono, who's a pioneer in the entertainment industry when it comes to live music, etc. My first experience and falling in love with music started with um, live bands such as Dumper and the Mustangs, you know. So after experiencing that at a young age, I always had a little knack for the music. Nice, nice. So you were uh, at the bar, at the restaurant when... They were setting up and 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 uh, testing the equipment, etc. Correct, correct. Me and Dumper share the same birthday, you know. Uh, Mustington Brothers, legendary band from Anguilla, was a house band at, at my dad's place for so much years and played in, incredible music. So, realistically, for me, like I, I always 
cherish those experiences and on top of that it drive me to like um always have high standards for my music you know because those guys were really talented definitely definitely how was how how did growing up in anguilla sort of inform your your taste in music or how did it shape your taste in music i feel like anguilla is a melting pot when it comes to the music so for me there was no like favorite genre you know no matter what kind of music it was we could we could vibe to it so i feel like it made me very versatile growing up there because you know at that time we didn't have a set genre of music for our culture so we we tapped into the reggae we tapped into the soca you know gospel r&b rap everything so i feel like it made me very versatile as a young man most deaf was it was it always a dream to to be in the music business or, or what was your dream job as a child let's start there um i did well in sports you know and i did well academically too so i i think i had a couple options you know for myself but um after i really tapped into the music the the level of freedom music gave me like i don't think i would want to do anything else now you know so i definitely once i got engaged with the music i didn't want to turn back and do anything else what was what were some of the other options um i went to college i have a degree in networking with a focus in technical management and you know, as I said, I was a, a pretty decent athlete growing up. So I used to want to be a soccer player. Okay. And then um, I had an injury. So that definitely um altered that dream. But as I said, quickly after that, I picked up on the music. And I've been rocking with that ever since. I think people I, people kind of end up where they should because I, I just can't imagine Diction, the, 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 the IT manager. Facts. <laughs> Facts. <laughs> so, so t- tell us about your early years in, in, in as a rapper, and especially being in the Caribbean where, you know, hip-hop wasn't as popular yet. At least the, the thought of a local rapper wasn't as popular at the time. What was that experience like? What what, what pushed you? Um, One of my good friends growing up was another rapper from Anguilla named Vernon Webster, they call him J.R. the Lion, you know, and um, growing up, you know, I was a class clown, so I would always crack on people and make jokes and stuff, so one time, you know, I made this joke on J.R. and the whole class um, erupted and laughed at him and stuff, so the next time we in class, he writes this amazing rap to, like, trump me, you know, so... After he trumped me with this rap, man, I was like, wow, this man catch me off guard, you know, like with my pants down. <laughs> so I say, the next time he tried to use that one on me, I going to be ready, you know. So I went home and I started putting these lines together. And like, it was funny because that's kind of how I started to rap because this dude, you know, he had so much influence on me after like doing that. I was like, wow, that was cool. So I just really started to rap. I always listened to rap, but that's kind of how I started to rap, you know. And then I then turned into like a fiend, man. And I joined the group Trade Winds in high school. And yeah, it grew from there. So you started as a battle rapper. <laughs> yeah, I love battle rap to this day, you know. Like I still love battle rap. And then I would say like my success grew when I did a jingle for Lady Passion, she was like a popular um, 
DJ at the time. Mm-hmm. And I did this jingle for her. And, like, you know, she was probably one of the highest listened, um, uh, viewed radio hosts at the time. You know what I'm saying? So when I, um, did this jingle for her, it played like constantly all day. And that's how, you know, how, I got. How'd you end up doing the jingle for her? That she, she asked, how did, like, how did she know about your, uh, talent for rapping? Uh, I think, you know, due to my affiliation with many different things, like people would mention my name when it came to the rapping. I wasn't that, I don't think I was that good then, you know what I'm saying? But I was decent. (laughs) So when she reached out to me about doing the jingle, I was like, cool. And I did it on a very popular beat. I think it was, um, I Sasha out of Trinidad. Trinidad. And at that time, that song was like crazy popular. Mm. And just because that jingle would play daily, people start to recognize me more as an artist, you know. But at that time, I was just doing it for fun, so it was cool. So I, I, I know college was a backup plan, but did your did your family and did friends support you in becoming a rapper, or did they say, "Well, you know, finish college. That's that's the that's the better bet." <laughs> um, honestly, I don't think anybody gets that initial support doing stuff like that you know everybody parents and family want them to secure like their future with a solid career you know and a lot of times you know this music thing is like hit or miss so i i definitely think my family would have preferred me to like you know take school a lot more serious but i'm a very determined guy you know i I have a i have high determination when it comes to the stuff that i want to do so i think um i was able to do well for myself with the music thing so where did, where did that confidence come from? Because, you know, like you said, most parents are like, you know, uh, that's cool that you have that talent, but I want you to do X, Y, Z, and you're going to do X, Y, Z. Where did the confidence to to kind of, uh, uh, you know, stick it to tradition and follow your your own path? Where did that come from? Honestly, I think being away assisted in that because I was able to um, have really cool friends in college who also had strong passions in music, you know. And I think as a collective, it helped to build my confidence that we could actually make a mark in the music game, you know. Um, one of my roommates in college was a uh, reggae superstar, Kabaka Pyramid, you know. And I, at that time, I hung out with a lot of guys from the BVI. And through them, I met my now, like, brother, Ayaz, and he was in Rhode Island also going to college. And, you know, just as a collective, I feel like it was like some magnetic energy going on. Mm. And the stuff that we were creating there, I think, definitely built my confidence in what we were doing. So I would say that confidence came from, like, steel sharpening steel and, you know, the collaborative effort between me and my friends. And winning over like a network in different islands, you know. So, because of the stuff we was putting out, I started to build a confidence that oh, we can actually make it doing this music. Right. So, so definitely for up and coming artists, you'd say having a strong uh, group is a must. Everybody needs a strong team. I, I, I definitely been a team player from day one. And um, I wouldn't be as far as I've made it without um, solid people around. So I definitely feel like a team is is a big, big factor in your success. Awesome, awesome. Tell us, tell us a journey in terms of 
going from um so you you left Anguilla, you're in college, you've graduated from college, and you're now living where? Is Miami, somewhere in Florida. Where was it? Yeah, I went to college in Orlando. Orlando. Where I, yeah, I currently reside there still, but um I went to school in Orlando. So Orlando so, has become the second home. Yeah, it became my second home, definitely. Yeah. Got it. So now you're in a, you're in Orlando, you're surrounded by a lot of these guys. Everybody is pushing. And so t- take us from there, the moment when you guys put out your your first few tracks. Uh, because you guys were doing a lot. You had a soca band as well as as producing hip hop, which is sort of an interesting dynamic. So how correct, did you go correct. from there to getting that first quote unquote big break in the business? Yeah, definitely. Um, the soca band we had a soca band called Just Action that definitely built our popularity in the city, which you know we used in turn as a as an avenue to promote this other genre that we was into. You know what I'm saying? I think um, it's hard to just call it hip-hop because I feel like we, we fused so much different genres at mm-hmm. that time, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know? But, um, yeah, we used the band as a nice springboard to to push a lot of other stuff. And I also met my brother Shada in them times. Me and Shada did a mixtape together. That mixtape heavily featured Kabaka, Ayaz, you know... um. At that time, a couple other guys we went to college with, you know what I'm saying? That mixtape started to build our recognition, made us a lot more recognized in the Virgin Islands, you know, St. Martin, Anguilla. And from there, we started to release singles. And luckily, I did that jingle for Lady Passion because because of that jingle, she always found a way to play my records, you know? Mm -hmm. So Lady Passion gave me a really good push early. She would play my records on, on air during peak times too. So, you know, she built that, um, she was able to build a, a fan base for me in the earlys, you know? So that was good for, for not just me, but my whole group. How many mixtapes did you do? Cause I, I do remember you releasing a few and, and you had these, um, I remember big parties going on <laughs> for the releases. Yeah, 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 we did. We did some release parties, yeah. We did do that. Um, I officially released three mixtapes. I'm possibly sitting on another, like, four albums, you know, of over the years compiling records, but not necessarily putting it out. But officially, we've released three. I released my first solo mixtape called Axa Sun. Mm-hmm. Then I released... Uh, mixtape with Shatter called The Fame Will Come. And then I released a group album with ODBMG, which is my label, called Could Have Been an Album. It's called CBA. But yeah, it means Could Have Been an Album. Got so it. yeah, three three official mixtapes. Got it, got it, got it. Now, you mentioned that you're sitting on four to five albums. What what prevents you from 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 letting them go? I think um after the era of our hit single Island Girls, you know, we had a breakout out of the group. I as eventually was able to sign a major record deal, etc. You know, and um I think it kind of redirected my energy more into the executive side of the music business than wanting to be an artist because at that time. 
I was also sharpening my songwriting skills and I was able to be of assistance to my friend who was, who had a foot in the door. So I think that that era kind of redirected my energy. Never stopped me from creating music, but it stopped me from wanting to be an artist. Now, you mentioned a monster of a hit in the Caribbean, at least, and I, and I know in South Florida, Island Girls. Uh, yes, sir. Tell us a story about Island Girls. Well, how did, because I, I don't think, many people don't know, how did the whole thing come about? Like the, the whole concept and everything for Island Girls. Uh, we, I mean, we're looking at it now uh, a little more than 10 years removed, and it still gets major play in, in the Caribbean. I think, it, you know, you could call it a, cer- a certified classic. How did that, if you can remember, how did that come about? You always remember. You always remember that song that that changed things for you. You know, um, Island Girls to me, it was like it, it started with a keyword you just use, a concept. You know, um, I was sitting on a day and I was like, you know what's crazy? We come from these smaller islands. If you notice, Island Girls really picked up the smaller islands, right? You know, and you know everybody represented Jamaica. Everybody re- represented Haiti and. Trinidad, etc. And I was like, yo, we should do a record just shouting out all the smaller islands, you know, and, and really shining some light on the smaller islands. And it started as a concept, just like you said, as one little quick thought. And I went back and forth online because at that time, me and I used to use MSN, like the video chat and the messenger. Right. And I was like, yo, I got this idea. And we started to create the hook. And Man, when he sent back that hook, I was like, bro, this is a hit. Like, you know, it's crazy, but when you create music, sometimes you you have those moments when you you just automatically know, okay, this is the one. Yeah. And I can honestly say I had that experience with that song. So after I had sent back the hook, I wrote a demo voice, honestly, to like be like, oh, yeah, this is how I think the song should go. I always wanted to go back and really, you know, get a little more detail with my voice. But within 10 minutes, Shata had his voice. And it, it just, yeah, it was magical. The song just came together. I honestly never got to go and rewrite a voice. So my voice was a demo voice that, you know, and the song ended up being a classic. So Some things are just supposed to happen the way they happen. Yeah, yeah, facts. Definitely. And then we... um. I had the pleasure of directing that video for you guys. Yes, um, sir. And that that was, to this day, one of the most um, enjoyable experiences I've had. And um, in a strange way, uh, as as Island Girls was a game changer for you, the Island Girls video was a game changer for my career as a director. Correct. Um, so Island Girls has been special to all of us. <laughs> well, minus the um, boat ride over to St. Martin <laughs> to catch the flight to St. Thomas <laughs> and minus the small plane back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but definitely one for the ages. One definitely. of these one of these days we have to do an entire Island Girls documentary and tell all the behind the scenes stories oh, that yeah. nobody knows. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Definitely crazy experience, yeah. But <laughs> I know, I know. So, but let me ask you this: Did, did the success of Island Girls surprise you? I know that it, it kind of hit you when you wrote it, but just how enormous it became did that did that shock you at all? I think, um, in that stage of all of our careers, like I think we actually were in that mode of wanting to push something 
to see how far it can go. So um, the level of success definitely was a surprise of how big it got. But it becoming successful, not really, because it was the first time we, like, was strategic and promoting and, you know, maximizing the potential of the record. So the results were definitely, like, more than we expected, but well-deserved. Got it, got it. And let me ask you this question. <laughs> what what genre would you, um, what genre would you say Ellen Girls is? Man, it's crazy. So much elements, so much different genres fused in one. Um, obviously, we rapped on it, so to me, that's as hip-hop as it got. Well, let me ask you about the yeah. beat. Uh, did you commission the beat? Was it a beat given to you? Um, it, it was it was a beat given to me by my stepbrother. And um, my stepbrother goes by the name Hypnaz. And he he was, at that time, one of the biggest compop zoop producers in France and, and the French Caribbean. So he gave me this fusion beat of like kumpa and hip hop and dancehall and all kind of thing and I think he felt like I would be the person to be able to put something to it you know because mm -hmm. at that time nobody was you know mixing those genres together so I think it was the perfect combination of him knowing that I'm cultured to that kind of music and saying hey bro I want to see what you could do to this beat and Yo, as you said, man, magic. Magic. And so you you guys kind of gave birth to a new sound, but it, it it coincided with the success of one Mr. Sean Kingston. Yeah. Uh, and I know that you had, um, you were instrumental in that entire link up with Ayaz and Sean Kingston. Tell us about that. Yeah, um, obviously the song was buzzing crazy throughout the Caribbean at that time. And, um, at that time, we were using MySpace, you know? Mm. So, somehow, some way, I think um, Mr. Chad Kent, you know, another very influential guy in Anguilla, mm -hmm. he he was shopping the record to a few labels, you know? So, somehow, it landed in um, in Sean's hands. And Sean and Ton, like, um, he, went, uh, she, he went ahead and started to do his research, and he found Ayers on MySpace, and he was messaging Ayers, and Ayers was like, man, this is a spam. You know what I mean? He didn't even believe this was Sean Kingston messaging him. And, like, two weeks later, we were in Miami hanging out with this dude, you know? And and that led to him signing him to his imprint, Time is Money, and then taking that deal over to Warner, which Ayers later put out um, an album under, you know? So, right. yeah. And, of course, Ayers went on to... Massive success with replay and so good and a number so of big. And, uh, so um, big. I'm solo. sorry, yeah, yeah, and solo. And so you were, um, you ended up writing for Ayaz as well. Yeah, I was. Um, we after he met Sean, obviously there was some some um, level of introduction to the real music industry, and he was still required to submit a demo. So the mega producer. GR Rotom and his brothers and they sent over a pack a pack of beats. And, you know, he was working on this demo and he would just send me these beats. He'd be like, yo, bro, you know, whatever you come up with. So I helped him a lot with his demo. And with that demo, 
we were able to collaborate and um, really solidify his deal. So I was very instrumental in that part because um, two of the songs that we wrote on the demo actually ended up on his first album, which was really cool for me because that was my first placement on um, a major album. What were, the, what were those songs? Uh, one was called Look At Me Now. There's a video on YouTube for that record. And the other one was called Goodbye. Goodbye was very popular to Cara Diaguadi, who's like one of the biggest female songwriters of all times. You know, and um, that was one of the songs that she said she definitely fell in love with and solidified his deal. So, yeah, it was good. It was a good experience for me to... um be a part of his success, you know? Right. And and writing for Ayas led you to, I mean, be introduced to the industry as a whole. Who were some of the yeah. other artists that you ended up um, working with? Honestly, you know, with the music business, sometimes all it takes is like an introduction, you know? And for me, I don't want to just leave out important people you know, and I feel like Chad was really influential in a lot of other placements we got. So we've done records with Sean Kingston. We've done, I've done a record with OT Genesis, but Chad, Chad was definitely way more influential in that, that side of those placements. Um, you know, and crazy, crazy reggae stuff. Sometimes, you know, for you, you cherish records that weren't as popular, but I worked with a guy out of um, Jamaica called Mr. Melody, and locally, I've done stuff for everybody, Panther, Sharina, you know, you, you name it. So Also in the Virgin Islands. Yeah, yeah, we, we've been behind um, a few artists out of the Virgin Islands. Um, K Victoria, we've worked with Pressure. And now my new artist that I've been developing, a young guy by the name of 88. So, yeah, you guys have to look out for him soon. Most definitely. How about uh, on the Soka side? Because you mentioned um, Panther and Sharina and, uh, of course, a few others I, that I know about. And also in the BVI, I think, uh, if, if I'm corrected, you guys had a road march down there. What? How was how that process? Like, how do you switch your brain from Soka to hip-hop to pop? <laughs> how does that process work? I'm not taking a road march um, credit. I don't, I'm not sure. I don't think so, though. I don't think we, but we had a very um, competitive record going on for a road march one time. But I don't think it actually was the um, road march. I stand but, corrected. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't take credit for things that I ain't get, you know. So, um, honestly, I think, as I said, growing up in the melting pot of Anguilla, just being exposed to all the genres. My sister, Shama, he was the babe, you know. She was um first female road march champion. Just all the different influences, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I feel like some of my best soca records I've written with my sister, you know. And Nikki Brooks. You know, you, you we could go down a big list of people we've worked with on the soca side. But, you know, as I said, everything, every record can have its own special place in your heart. You know, it doesn't matter what genre, you know, so definitely love to dabble into the soca. God, I mean, it's a root, right? <laughs> it's it's our music. <laughs> <laughs> now, it, you're developing new talent, as you mentioned. Um, yes, what do young artists 
need to know? Like, what are some of the key things that young artists need to to embrace if they are going to do this thing on a professional level? Uh, I preach to my artists a lot that, you know, talent is such a small percentage of your success, you know? So for me, I think in the last couple of years, I've been working with him to understand the importance of, like, dominating social media and, you know, building a brand that's way past one song. You know what I'm saying? So a lot of people have the misconception that being successful in music is about talent. And and I can definitely assure you that there's so much more talented people out there than we are exposed to, but it's the people who really put in the work and who's very strategic and, you know, just see it through to the end, always come out successful. Just to go back a little bit, I, 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 yes, I forgot to ask you this. What is your writing process? Like, do you get the beat first and then come up with the concept? Or are you one of those guys that goes concept first, draw a couple lines and then commission a beat? You know, do you have to be in a particular r- room in your house? Do you have to have the lights at a certain level? <laughs> What's your process? <laughs> um, I consider myself a very pure writer, meaning that um, I don't force write. I don't use paper and pen. I definitely feed off of beats. Uh, I've never like been able to just write songs. I would jot little concepts down in my mind that I'd be like, "Oh yeah, this will come. This will make a dope song," but I wouldn't sit down and really write lines without a beat. Because most times the beat speaks to me, and I use the beat as my um, shepherd. You know what I'm saying? I follow where the beat take me. So, yeah, I definitely need the beat, and I don't like to write because I think it makes writing very robotic. So I just like to go with a vibe. So I consider myself a pure writer, meaning I don't like force write, and I don't sit down and write line for line. Is there a genre that's easier to write, you think? I love um, Lovers Rock. Reggae, I love I love reggae beats. Um, I love Groovy Soca. Uh, commercial pop, you know what I'm saying? I think hip-hop and some of the stuff that I've been most known for are the harder genres because I feel like I'm way more critical, you know what I'm saying? Whereas with the other stuff, it's fun, it's different, it gives me a break from the stuff that I'm, that I crucify myself for. So, yeah, I would say Lovers Rock Reggae and like Groovy Soca is my, uh, that's my favorite. As a songwriter, you definitely have an ear. What makes a hit song, in your opinion? Trust. You know, like a lot of times, some, as I said, someone could be extremely talented, but unless you produce your own music, write your own songs, you know, do your own vocal production, do your whole your own engineering. You can't think it's just you, you know what I'm saying? So a lot of times, I feel like a successful song comes from trusting all these pieces and all these people who are like professionals at what they do and bringing those elements together and, you know, creating a masterpiece. I think a lot of times a singer doesn't... When a singer can really sing, they don't leave room for the engineer to like do the things that engineers do to make songs sonically work. You know what I'm saying? When a producer feels like he's the hottest producer, sometimes he overproduces. You know what I'm saying? So sometimes it takes like just the right amount of the element that each person brings to the table 
to make those hit songs and being able to accept constructive criticism is like a key you know what i'm saying so once you once you can learn how to work and respect everybody that makes these things happen you can always make hits yeah. but a lot of people you know think like they're the they're the main piece of it and sometimes you know they're just distracted from being as great as it could be indeed indeed what who inspires you as a writer uh like who, well, I should ask, who do you look up to? Who are some of the songwriters that you do look up to? Honestly, I've I've never studied music too much because I've never wanted to be influenced by anyone that much. Mm. You know, I I was like blessed to just have a natural knack for writing songs. So I'm not saying I'm not influenced by people, but there's not one person that I would say, oh yeah, like. I look up to as a songwriter. I think like I, I'll accredit people like Esther Dean. I don't know if love you her. were familiar with that I little era. Like I love her work. I love Esther Dean. Um, I don't put Adele in that songwriting category, but as an artist and her writing her own songs, I think she's amazing. I love um Ed Sheeran. Okay. Yeah, like. I love people who have a lot of truth in their music, you know what I'm saying? So like people who have that kind of vibe to them, definitely I would I would uh, credit for like pushing me mentally to want to be a better songwriter. Understood, understood. Here's a fun question. Mm -hmm. If you had a if you were the head of a label, any major yes, label, and every artist in the world was a free agent and you had three slots to fill on your label, who would your top three picks be? Currently, like people who are relevant. At yeah, the who moment, are who are relevant at the moment. I would have to say Drake. I would say Ed Sheeran. Mm. And honestly, bro, like it's so much like talented UK dudes. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I definitely love Skepta, man. I think Skepta is like very underrated, you know. So I would I, I would throw Skepta in there as a curveball. Yeah. Okay. 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 And that's and you're basically you're judging this on talent, charisma, all things included, yeah? I think all the artists I pick are like highly slept on. You know what I'm saying? I think Ed Sheeran has hits, but is not as identifiable as people that's not even in his caliber. I think Drake is definitely misunderstood. But mm. if you listen to his music, like his music is like on a next level. The, the the topics he touch on the concepts etc. Elab elaborate on that a little bit. What what do you what do you say Drake is misunderstood? I think um a lot of people think I'll call him this culture vulture. And honestly, I I've yet to seen somebody who he's went into their world that he hasn't shined a light on. You know what I'm saying? I feel like every everything people call him culture vulture over brought success for the people the originators are the people who's involved with it. You know what I'm saying? So for you to say somebody's a culture vulture, I would, I would more expect it to be a situation where they, they just run off with somebody's brilliance. Right. Not, not collaborate, not assist, just take it and use their fame to make it popular. But he's always collaborated with the people that, you know, he's tapped into, etc. So like, I think he's very misunderstood in that, in that aspect, and for him to be able to identify a lot of the new waves and new sounds that's, that 
in turn become very big in the music culture. I think that's a gift he has also, you know what I'm saying? So there's so much things about Drake to me that's misunderstood. Plus, I love that he always writes from these very vulnerable places. So that's like one of his big, big um, pluses for me. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Great answers. Great answers. How has the, how has the music business changed within the last 10 years, in your opinion? I don't think it's no different to everything else, you know? I think it's just evolution, bro. I think um, it's growth. I think it's it's beautiful that you don't have to necessarily depend on a label anymore. You know what I'm saying? I think um, in my years of being in tune with music, I've watched a radio hit turn to you had to be on PRL or, you know, 106 in Park, so the music videos became the thing to do. And now I've watched it evolve into the internet and streaming and all these other things. So for me, I just look at it as evolution and growth. You know what I mean? A lot of people's like, oh, it's messing with the game, but I just think it's just evolution. And as long as you can adapt in life, you'll, you'll be okay. So with, with the, with the changes, I think it's been a beautiful thing, especially for people that don't have access in the music business at one point everything was who you had access to you know what i'm saying the the gatekeepers you're right the the gatekeepers but now if you're talented you're ambitious you know you have good direction you can you can make it from home in your living room you know what i'm saying and I, i i like that part now with all your success as a writer and as a rapper you are now touring the world with your brother Ayaz. Tell us about touring. Uh, what are some of the things that artists need to know about touring, uh, especially globally, as you do? And then tell us some of the places you've been to. Okay, I feel like um, touring, it has like phases to touring. I feel like people who build organic followings and um, kind of cult followings, you know, you can tour just off of your access to your network, your fan base, etc. Then, you know, there's touring by the machines, like the big agencies that's able to get you on every festival in the world and put you in every arena. We were able to do it on both scales. So one thing I do enjoy about the agency level of touring is that it's a lot less strain for me. I I just go and as more of a tour manager. On the smaller scale, though, I've been able to establish amazing relationships, build my network, you know what I'm saying? And um able to put together touring circuits more independently. And I feel like being more hands-on is way more gratifying, but <laughs> I don't mind when it's easy at times. So yeah, we've done it on both scales. Um, countries we've been to all over Asia, Japan, Thailand, Myanmar, Malaysia, Singapore, Indonesia, China. Yeah, I would say those are the countries I've been to. Ayers have been to some without me also. So, like, he's been to the Philippines. I've never been. The whole of Europe, we've done little shows in South America. I think that's one of the few markets we haven't done, along with few countries in Africa. But we've done, you know, Lebanon, Istanbul, Dubai, Bahrain, you know, Doha, you you know, anywhere in that region. It's amazing. The whole of Australia. The whole of Australia. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you guys uh, spend weeks in Australia at times. Yeah, six weeks, and yeah, we've done over over forty cities in Australia, which a lot of we've been to places in Australia that Australians never been. So, like, yeah, we've done Australia extensively, Asia extensively, Europe extensively, of course, America, Canada. You know, we've done uh, most of the world, most of the world. Right, right, and it, I guess it sort of speaks to the importance of trying to create classic songs and really marketing them well because you know the touring lasts and yeah the publishing lasts to be quite honest yeah facts um i still manages to do like over 100 million streams every year off of like classics so he hasn't released a lot of new music and we still tour extensively and his streaming numbers are still amazing so you know it shows a a great deal of success on his behalf, but also making classic records will allow you to to stick around. Right. So, so when you hear younger artists say, "Oh, I didn't even care about that record. I just did whatever on the record and put it out," <laughs> I, I don't respect that at all. I think anybody doing anything should take it really serious. So, you know, I don't really respect people who who take that approach. Yeah, it's just throw it out. No, I don't. I don't. I don't rate that. Mm, got it. Now you yeah. are. You, you mentioned this briefly. Yeah. You're embarking on a on a new phase of the industry as a booking agent. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, tell us about developing that business. And and do you is it a situation where artists can contact you for bookings, or do you want? Uh, are you handpicking artists? A lot of times, it's based on my contacts and who they want, and then I would go and like make a connection with their management. But um, due to a lot of, you know, deals going bad and stuff, these foreign promoters and booking booking agencies, they, they tend to use people they trust, you know? So a lot of it has to do with trust. And a lot of it have to do with your network. So I've been building a network over the last 10 years. And I've never really dabbled too much into the booking because I have a few friends that's like, you know, pretty big in it. So if I can pass it off to them, I do it. But for my artists directly, you know, um, I as my brother, you know, 88, these kind of people, I use my network to keep their touring circuit current. You know what I'm saying? So over the years, building that network has enabled me to be able to put tours together for my artists and stuff like that. So that's really cool. In the same vein, in recent years, you popped up doing events in the Caribbean, some huge events. What led to that? Just exposure, bro. You know, like, same thing, just traveling the world, being able to see things from different perspective and stuff like that. It wasn't something that was a huge passion for me and my brother, Indy, you know, but it's just something that we felt was missing, especially home in our, our island. I feel like the lack of love of events and entertainment was leading the young people down a bad road because they had nothing to do they had no no other desires you know what i'm saying a lot of times these things become distractions from negative stuff you know i want to go out and hang out though i ain't trying to beef with guys from the other side of the island because i like to go lime you know what i'm saying so one time there wasn't much going on and i feel like we were able to fill that void and bring back a little unity in the island you know right and you guys threw you and uh, Indy and the 
and your company's your 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 imprint with the events is called what? Axel Boy Entertainment. Axel Boy Entertainment. Yeah. And uh, tell us about that first event that you had. You you had a little bit of luck, as as oh. as life would have it. <laughs> first off, I want to shout out my my sisters and like my second mom. I want to shout out Misha and Bonnie Bloom. You know, for always just having our back. You know, we're just the crazy guys who have certain connections, but they. They keep things intact, you know. They 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 bring the structure to the team, so I gotta shout them out. Yeah, our first event, you know, I want to shout out Pietro too, because Pietro was the one who was like, "Yo, I should do events," you know what I mean? And we were like, "Okay, cool." So we put together this party during the Christmas break, because we used to go home to visit the family, and it would be so boring. So <laughs> we say. All right, Pietro, we're going to take you up on this. We put together this event and, you know, for the first time, it was well attended and we were able to have some A-list celebrities attend. Luckily, you know, they were on the island, you know, Angola's very busy and very and highly infested with, with celebrities during that part of the year. So someone who managed a villa reached out to me and she was like, Hey, you have a party tonight, right? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, okay, I'm going to send my guests. And the way she keep calling and checking, I was like, this must be like some important people. And then I was downstairs and, you know, these SUVs pull up and out pops, it, um, pop out Kevin Hart, Ludacris, and, um, one of the sons of Andretti. I, I can't remember which one it was. It was three of them and they partied with us all night. So that was, like a good, 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 good vibe for a whole I, I, brand. That's that. That's a great start to your first event. Yeah, 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 yeah. Such a such a great alley hoop, you know. And ever since then, you know, whether people believe it was luck or not, I think that made people not want to miss our events. So we've we've been pretty successful throwing events ever since. Right, because you've done concerts as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We um we brought Marshall back for the first time in a long time we brought Marshall to Anguilla we did the Better Band reunion which was like you know really big for our island epic um, yeah we managed along with the carnival committee August Monday which was always a dream of ours once we got into the events that was especially my brother he always was like man I would love to do August Monday and, who, you know, who, who and appeared I, on that show uh, we had the Trinidad superstars, um, Bungie Garland and Nadia Batson. And then we had Mel out of French, out of the French Caribbean. I think she's from Martinique. Yeah, Guadalupe. I love Mel. Yeah, Mel. The all-stars out of St. Martin, King James, you know, all the big names out of St. Martin. And of course, our local bands and, and artists. Now, you're a man of many talents and... Although it's all uh, sort of the epicenter is music and entertainment, you've got all these tentacles in every which direction. And recently, we heard that you started doing a little bit of management uh, with your dad's bar. Tell us about your your dad's bar a little more and um, and what you're doing for him. And, and is it is it one bar or two bars? Yeah, my dad owns um, a very popular beach bar in Anguilla called Janos. There. There is a second piece to this company that's on a key. It's, it's called Jono's also, but at Prickly Pear. Uh, a year and a half ago, going on two years, well, closer to two years ago, there was an unfortunate incident where 
my dad's restaurant was burnt down flat along with the restaurant next door dad's you know the community came together along with you know everybody who could have chipped in chipped in and we were able to build these establishments back which which are like crucial to like the whole entertainment world in Anguilla so everybody's excited to see these places resurrected out of this this <laughs> unfortunate incident you know my dad been asking me for a few years to like think about coming home and and taking over the place and stuff like that so i guess everything happens with with <laughs> reason and um I've been back in Anguilla for the last year and a half, not just rebuilding, but I've been influential and, in, you know, trying to get the place back to its original state, you know, being like a landmark and Mecca in, in the entertainment field, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I've just been down there building back up a few nights and providing that good local food that people love from Janos. Do you enjoy that that aspect of the of the business? The the you know the the bar restaurant side of it? Um, I think it's different being hands on with um rebuilding it. You know, for me, I think it's more of a passion for my dad, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? But the legacy was important for me, you know what I'm saying? He he built that. My dad is like really like uh started from nothing type of story you know what i'm saying so just being able to assist him and get the the place rebuilt and you know build back up that clientele and stuff like that was was a a good experience for me it's definitely more of a passion of my dad but you know i've i've grown some love for it also you know anytime you plant a seed and you see something grow it's always a good feeling so i definitely um have grown a, a liking for it over the last year. Got it, got it. So you were a rapper, you've been a writer, you're a tour manager, you've done bookings, you're running a bar. What's <laughs> what's next for Diction? Oh man, I just, I think for me, um, one of the things that I definitely want to dabble into more is a little more philanthropy. You know, we've always been, been able to donate small things and do do as much as we could, you know, as citizens of Anguilla. But I think, like, for me, one of the big things would be giving back to the community. You know what I'm saying? So that's that's the future goal of mine, to put myself in a position to be able to do more in the community. Um, so. Are you involved in any of that stuff in Orlando, by chance? Yeah, I've always, yeah. I've always done um, Thanksgiving drives. And, of, clo- of course, you know, <laughs> I've been around artists and touring and all of that. I go through so much clothes and, and shoes and stuff like that. I've always, you know, tried to donate stuff that I'm not using, especially to people who, who can make better use of it, you know? So, right. yeah. Most definitely. So, Diction, this is a segment we call The Planet Is Yours. I usually strap on my spacesuit, jump out into outer space, and leave, and I leave you on the planet alone to say whatever you want to whomever you want. Your Your turn. <laughs> Well, I just want to be—I just want to be thankful for all the support I've received over the years. You know, whether you left a comment on the video, you know, bought one of my mixtapes back in the days, attend one of my events. You know, what I'm saying I'm always grateful to people who support you because nobody is—you know—nobody has to do that. You know, what I'm saying nobody is 
obligated to support you. So definitely want to thank everybody who supported us over the years. One, two, I want to thank you for always making a platform and highlighting people like us. You know what I'm saying? A lot of people don't shed light on, on some of the things that should, should, you know, should be recognized, but you've always been somebody in the forefront of, of, um, giving out that recognition. I feel like nobody has ever done this, which is sometimes disturbing, but sometimes you have to know, and I'm a very private person. So I think because of our relationship, you know a lot more about me than a lot of people. So and the world that's why I thank know. you also. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> my pleasure. My pleasure. How can how can people contact you or or see your videos or your work? Is there a website, a YouTube channel, IG? What's going on? Yeah, um, you can find me on social media at Diction. Instagram would be at Diction ODB, D-I-C-T-I-O-N-O-D-B. Facebook, I'm... Um, down there as Diction Edwards. And I don't use Snapchat, but if you look me up on YouTube and you look up Young Diction, Island Girls, you'll find it along with, you know, a trail of all the other stuff I've done. So, yeah, you can find me there at Young Diction. Diction, we cannot thank you enough for joining us on the planet. 30. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us here on Planet 30. It was a pleasure. Now the now people know more about the man, the myth, the legend. Appreciate it, my brother. <laughs> All right. Thank you for listening to this episode of Planet 30. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at OnPlanet30. Like us on Facebook.com slash Planet30. Our email address is OnPlanet30 at gmail.com. That's O-N-P-L-A-N-E-T. T-H-I-R-T-Y at gmail.com For more information about Planet 30, visit our website, planet30.com That's P-L-A-N-E-T T-H-I-R-T-Y dot com I am Crispin Brooks. And this is Planet 30.